The House and Senate are both in recess and will be gone for two weeks. Last week in the House, they came back to work on Monday and they took up and passed two bills under suspension of the rules. On Tuesday, the House took up and passed five bills under suspension of the rules and one resolution. The resolution called on the U.S. government to uphold the founding democratic principles of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization and establish a Center for Democratic Resilience within the headquarters of NATO. That resolution passed by a vote of 362 to 63, with most of the opposition coming from our friends who objected to the resolution's call for the establishment of a Center for Democratic Resilience and the potential for misuse of such an organization inside NATO. On Wednesday, the House took up H. Res. 1037, a resolution recommending that the House of Representatives find former Trump senior aides Peter K. Navarro and Daniel Scavino Jr. to be in contempt of Congress for their refusal to comply with duly issued subpoenas from the January 6th committee. The vote was 220 to 203 with all the Democrats and two Republicans, that's right, the usual suspects, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, voting in favor and all other Republicans voting against. Then the House took up and passed the rule for governing floor consideration of H.R. 3807, the Restaurant Revitalization Fund Restoration Act. That's a bill to provide another $55 billion to the Restaurant Revitalization Fund that was set up by the American Rescue Plan, President Biden's first $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief plan. Then the House passed, under suspension of the rules, H.R. 7276, the Ukraine Invasion War Crimes Deterrence and Accountability Act. The bill passed by a vote of 418 to 7. On Thursday, the House took up and passed H.R. 3807, the Restaurant Revitalization Fund Restoration Act, by a vote of 223 to 203. Then the House took up and passed H.R. 7108, the Suspending Normal Trade Relations with Russia and Belarus Act, and H.R. 6968, the Suspending Energy Imports from Russia Act, and then they were done. Last week in the Senate, they came back to work on Monday. They voted to discharge from the Judiciary Committee the nomination of Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson to serve as an Associate Justice of the Supreme Court. On Tuesday, the Senate voted to discharge from the Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs the nomination of Julia Ruth Gordon to serve as Assistant Secretary of Housing. That was a 50 to 50 party line vote, and the tie vote was broken by the vice president. Then the Senate voted to agree to the motion to proceed to consideration of Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. And by voice vote, the Senate confirmed Catherine Vidal to be Undersecretary of Commerce for Intellectual Property and Director of the Trademark Office. Then the majority leader tried to invoke cloture on the motion to proceed to H.R. 4373, the shell vehicle for the COVID funding package the Biden administration has been trying to get passed for the last several weeks. The motion to invoke cloture failed by a vote of 47 to 52. We'll talk more about that in a moment. On Wednesday, the Senate voted to confirm James O'Brien to serve as head of the Office of Sanctions Coordinator with the, I'm sorry, Sanctions Coordination with the rank of ambassador. The vote was 71 to 26. Then by voice vote, the Senate confirmed Glenn S. Fukushima to be director of the Securities Investor Protection Corporation, Krista Ann Boyd to be inspector general of the Office of Personnel Management, and Marvin L. Adams to be deputy administrator for defense programs of the National Nuclear Security Administration. On Thursday, the Senate voted by 100 to nothing to pass H.R. 7108 as amended. That was a bill to suspend normal trade relations treatment for the Russian Federation and its ally, Belarus. 
Then the Senate voted by 100 to nothing to pass H.R. 6968 as amended. That was a bill to prohibit the importation of energy products from the Russian Federation. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Judge Katanji Brown Jackson to serve as an associate justice of the Supreme Court. That vote was 53 to 47. Just two hours later, the Senate voted to confirm Judge Katanji Brown Jackson to her new position as an associate justice of the Supreme Court. Then by voice vote, the Senate confirmed the following people to the following positions. Oren E. Wife Shaw to the U.S. Director of the African Development Bank for a term of five years. Adriana Deborah Kugler to be U.S. Executive Director of the International Bank for Reconstruction and Development for a term of two years. Stephen H. Fagan to be U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Yemen. Eric Christopher Raven to be Undersecretary of the Navy at the Department of Defense. William A. LaPlante Jr. to be Undersecretary for Acquisition and Sustainment at the Department of Defense. Jed David Kolko to be Undersecretary for Economic Affairs at the Department of Commerce. Aaron Venkamaturian to be Director General of the U.S. and Foreign Commercial Service of the Department of Commerce. Grant T. Harris to be an Assistant Secretary of the Department of Commerce. Lori E. Locasio to be Undersecretary of the Undersecretary for Standards and Technology at the Department of Commerce, and Motion Reza Syed to be Assistant Secretary of the Department of Transportation. And then they were done. On Wednesday of last week, President Biden announced he would extend until August 31 the moratorium on federal student loan payments and interest accrual. That means the end of the moratorium will arrive less than three months before the midterm elections. And that's another way of saying the moratorium is likely to be extended again, because there's just no way in the world that the Biden administration is going to make people start paying off their student loans again after more than a two year moratorium, just weeks before an election. The moratorium affects 40 million Americans who have a combined $1.6 trillion in outstanding student loan debt. Now to COVID mandates. On Thursday, a three-judge panel of the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals reversed a lower court decision that had blocked the Biden White House from requiring federal employees to be vaccinated against COVID-19. The appeals court ruled that the district judge did not have the jurisdiction to block the original mandate and said the lawsuit challenging the vaccine mandate should be dismissed. No word on whether an appeal will be filed, but I assume there will be an appeal. More on that COVID funding deal, the backstory. On Monday of last week, Utah Republican Senator Mitt Romney, who had been leading negotiations on the Republican side with Majority Leader Schumer over the contents of that $10 billion COVID funding package, announced that he had come to terms with Schumer over the terms of a deal. But before the Senate could vote on the matter, vulnerable Senate Democrats made enough noise about the Biden administration's decision to rescind Title 42 that Senate Republicans decided to test their opposition to the decision by seeking their support for an amendment to the COVID funding package. Surely, the Republicans reasoned, if the Democrats were serious about opposing Biden's determination to rescind Title 42, they'd be willing to back up their words with a deed, to wit, voting for an amendment to the COVID funding package that would prevent the Biden administration from ending Title 42 until it had an appropriate plan in place to deal with the expected surge of migrants on the southern border. Republicans began to work their Democrat colleagues to that end. Majority Leader Schumer, who didn't want to see his Democrats go off the reservation, short-circuited that effort by calling a vote on a motion to invoke cloture on the motion to proceed with the COVID funding package. 
Republicans denied the opportunity to vote for the amendment they wanted to offer, voted against cloture. Only Ron Wyden of Oregon, chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, voted with the Republicans to oppose cloture, and he only did so because he actually opposed the funding mechanism for the COVID funding deal. And the cloture motion was defeated. Schumer switched his vote from aye to nay at the end of the vote for procedural reasons so he could bring the motion back up for a vote later. So both House and Senate left for the Easter recess without first voting through a COVID funding package. By the time they get a chance to vote for it in late April, it will have been more than a month since the Biden administration sent the emergency supplemental funding request to the Hill, and the request will have been cut in half. More on Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson. Last Monday, Republican Senators Lisa Murkowski of Alaska and Mitt Romney of Utah announced their intention to vote to confirm Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson to her new position as an Associate Justice of the Supreme Court. Added to the previous week's declaration by Maine Republican Senator Susan Collins that she would vote to confirm Jackson, the three Republicans removed all doubt about whether or not Jackson would be confirmed. At that point, the only question was when the final confirmation vote would occur. Would it be on Thursday or Friday? With the scent of jet fuel in their nostrils, the Easter recess was beckoning. Even Republican senators saw no reason to stick around any longer than they had to. So on Thursday, just two hours after the Senate voted by 53 to 47 to invoke cloture and end debate on the nomination, the Senate voted by the same 53 to 47 to confirm Judge Jackson to her new position. That's not to say there weren't any hitches with the confirmation vote. California Democrat Senator Alex Padilla taking a red eye back from the Golden State late on Sunday evening, early Monday morning, had his flight turned around for medical reasons and had to reschedule his arrival for Monday afternoon. Since he's a member of the Judiciary Committee, the committee had to wait for his arrival before Chairman Dick Durbin could call the vote. Padilla finally arrived Monday afternoon and the committee voted on the nomination and came to the expected 11 to 11 tie necessitating that the Senate vote to discharge the nomination from the committee. Later in the week, in an interview with Axios on Thursday, Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell refused to answer when asked whether he would hold hearings if a Supreme Court seat opened up next year if Republicans have taken control of the Senate back in the November 2022 midterm election. In 2016, of course, he refused to even hold hearings on President Obama's nomination of Merrick Garland to replace Justice Antonin Scalia after Scalia passed away and created a vacancy. But the vacancy was in the same year as the presidential election. Now McConnell seems to be leaving the door open to blocking a president of a different party from filling a Supreme Court vacancy that occurs in the last two years of his term. We'll keep our eye on this one as the year progresses. More on illegal immigration. Democrats are flummoxed by the Biden administration's decision to lift Title 42, so much so that several of them have indicated they will support new legislation introduced by Democrat Kirsten Sinema of Arizona and Republican James Langford of Oklahoma to prevent the Biden administration from ending Title 42 until it has a a plan in place to deal with the expected surge of migrants at the southern border. But that appears to be a political concern, not an actual concern for what will happen on the ground. We know that because when Republican senators at the beginning of the week sought to enlist their Democrat colleagues' support for an amendment to the COVID funding package, they all backed off. 
Jenny Beth wrote about this subject in her op-ed this week. You can find it in the suggested reading. More on Hunter Biden's problems. Fox News revealed last week that contrary to his insistence that he has never discussed his son's overseas business dealings, Joe Biden wrote a letter of recommendation for college admissions for the son of one of Hunter Biden's Chinese business colleagues. Importantly, the request for help in the college admissions process came in January of 2017, while Biden was still serving as vice president of the United States. Asked last Tuesday if the White House still stands by Biden's statement that he has not discussed his son's overseas business dealings with him, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said, quote, yes. On Friday, 95 House Republicans sent a letter to Attorney General Merrick Garland urging him to appoint a special counsel to take over the investigation of Hunter Biden. Now, finally, the latest on the Iran nuclear deal. Another week has gone by and we're still waiting to see if the Biden administration is going to cave to Iran's demand that the United States remove the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps from its list of foreign terrorist organizations as a condition of getting Iran to agree to come back into compliance with the terms of the 2015 Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, also known as the Iran nuclear deal. This is very important because, as we've pointed out before, listing the IRGC as a foreign terrorist organization has absolutely nothing to do with Iran's pursuit of a nuclear weapon and everything to do with Iran's actions over the decades to target and kill Americans and to support other terrorist organizations that target and kill Americans. On Wednesday of last week, Secretary of State Antony Blinken said he is not, quote, overly optimistic, unquote, that Iran can be brought back into compliance. In an interview with MSNBC, he said, quote, despite all the efforts we put into it, we're not there and time is getting extremely short, but this is something we will be talking to our European partners about this afternoon and on the next day, unquote. Asked whether the IRGC is a terrorist organization, Blinken said, quote, they are. This Iran negotiation is becoming a problem for Biden inside his own party. I doubt there's a single Republican on the Hill who supports the prospect of lifting sanctions against Iran, but now that opposition is growing inside the Democrat party. Last week, we talked a bit about Senate Democrats. This week, it was House Democrats expressing concern. On the same day Blinken gave that interview to MSNBC, five House Democrats held a press conference to push back against lifting sanctions on Iran. And that's our Washington Report for this week.